Time is important and I am a clock. If we run out of time, then where does it go? Is time even real? Does anyone know? Hey gang, it's Michael Rosso, Film Photography Podcast. <laughs> yes, guess what we're going to be talking about? Film photography. <laughs> <laughs> with, with Leslie Lazenby here. Hi, Leslie. Hello, everyone. And Mark O'Brien here. Hey there. We mostly talk about film photography. Sure. We yeah. have to get Fideli on the horn to... to, to uh, for us to steer off the road. For us to drift. Hey, how you doing there? Hi, how are you? What are we going to be talking about today, Leslie? Uh, I'm going to talk about cameras for the sexes. Oh, yes. And then I, I'm going to talk about an old favorite, I believe, too, is the uh, my Ollie. My Olympus OM2. Ollie. 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 Aww. Oh. And Mark, what are you going to be talking about? I'm going to talk about... The Konica Auto S2 camera, and I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit about my travels this summer. As some of our viewers know, I've been retired since December and been doing lots and lots of traveling. But I like to talk about my trip to the to the Center for Creative Photography in Tucson. And, and Leslie, that's in Tucson, right? A <laughs> one. Right. And yes, we we'll talk about LED LED Ooh. lights. Well, okay, we'll be right back. This is the one. I was so psyched it came out. My brothers dared me to do it. They didn't think I could keep up. Kodak Max. Now, I've got proof. Film that captures action and takes great pictures in almost any light. Low light, sunlight, action, or still. So, when's the hard part? <laughs> Kodak Max. It's all you need to know about film. Hey, we're back. What happened in Tucson? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? What happened in Tucson, Mark? What happened in Tucson? Yeah, well... Oh, what do you got there? A Minolta rangefinder? Yeah, yeah. Sweet. So, um, back in, in September, uh, I spent a, spent a weekend... Uh, Colorado, and then we drove down to New Mexico to visit my daughter, and we took a trip down to San Xavier Mission, which is south of Tucson, which mm-hmm. is just fantastic. Um, photographically, it's a, just an amazing place to visit. But then we drove up into Tucson to visit a place that's been on my bucket list. We visited the Center for Creative Photography. It's at the University of Arizona, and for those who may not be familiar with it, the center really started back in the 70s um, when Ansel Adams was approached by, about his, his uh, work and finding a place to deposit all his archives and everything. In, in 1974, they, you know, they, they uh, imagined a place that would collect not only the photographs, but all the supporting documentation, negatives, all of the archives that photographers might have, some, even equipment. It became a at that time a living history museum because Ansel Adams was still alive. It didn't it wasn't just about Ansel Adams; it was about many photographers over the years. The, the collection is constantly growing, and I would say that any photographer of note in this past century that was that had archives um, and was willing to do so has their material there. So, if you're doing any kind of research on a photographer, um, that is probably the preeminent place to go. Since it's at the University of Arizona, it's also a teaching 
laboratory for students and so forth to uh, take advantage of these resources. I was really tickled to be there, and there really aren't very many museums devoted solely to photography. In most art museums, photography is a minor part of their collection, if at all, or if they tend to have maybe some the best and the greatest of certain photographers, but they generally don't have their archives. They generally don't have their equipment there. And so this makes the, the Center for Creative Photography much more valuable to the photographic community and the histor- photo-historical community than, than your average art museum would ever be. When we got there, I was entirely struck by the fact they had two shows going on. One is called the Heritage Gallery, and I'll talk about that in a second. But the first exhibit they, they had up was called Longer Ways to Go, Photographs of the American Road. The center now houses over 100,000 photographic artworks. That's a lot of, that's a lot of images by more than 2,000 artists and an archival collection of over 5 million objects. Um, it began with the archives of five renowned photographers, Ansel Adams, Wynne Bullock, Harry Callahan, Aaron Siskin, and Frederick Sommer. It's grown to include some of the most recognizable names in the 20th, including W. Gene Smith, Lola Alvarez-Bravo, Edward Weston, and Gary Winogrand. I didn't know that Gary Winogrand stuff is there. That's, that's pretty amazing. It's really an unparalleled resource for research exhibitions, loans, and traveling exhibitions. So they do loan their material for traveling exhibitions. The exhibit we went to see called Longer Ways to Go... It's all sort of history of photography on the road and how America has been in love with the road and going west and all the things associated with being on the open road. And it was a, it's a fantastic exhibit, especially there's been a sustained impulse to make photographs that describe the varied and contradictory fe- texture of the road. Space. Time. How things are how things looked at the time and how things look now and how that's all transformed over the years. You can think of Route 66 and how that was a a popular uh, highway and then, of course, the interstate system came along and lots of that became defunct, but still sections of it remained. So it's a a fantastic exhibition, and what made it even more interesting was it would pick, pick several places photographed by photographers much earlier and they combine it with images from Google Street View to show how it looks now. And it's oh, interesting. Pretty, so you take, you're taking the artist's version, vision of a place at that time, and now you're also looking at it with a very um, benign lens of art, a Google Street View, which is, there's really no artistry involved, but it shows you how things look as if you're just driving by. And it's incredible because some places have changed very little, but most places have changed a lot. And they have a, a map showing all the different locations. And they featured one person there, who I, a lot, who I'd never heard of before, Kozo Miyoshi. And he was a, a, someone who was sponsored by the, the, the Center for Creative Photography and, and exhibits there. He was a large format photographer from, from Japan. And he went along Route 66 and, and did, took a lot of photographs back in the 90s. Um, I've got a monograph they put out by him, and it's really fantastic. Um, so he's become a new favorite photographer of mine, and I was exposed to him through the CCP in Tucson. So that's one exhibit. And the other exhibit is the Heritage Gallery, where they have images from their the, their greats in the gallery. Um, and you get to, where else would you get to see Ansel Adams, Gary Winogrand, Edward Weston, and a bunch of others in such intimate and 
varied images. Uh, the other cool thing they had there was they had these large um, flat files in drawers you could pull out and see things from their archives, like letters from from uh, Ansel Adams to somebody with snapshots he'd taken. Mm. And, you know, even though people may not um, realize that, yeah, he was a great photographer, he took lots of snapshots like any of us did. And that became an adjunct to his work, but also a source of inspiration of going to a place and, and shooting what was there. And they even, in some cases, they even had a lens he used to take a, a certain photograph with, which I thought was pretty cool. And not just for him, but for other photographers in their in their um, archives as well. So that was a really, I could see where that would be a really great teaching tool for someone. But just to see letters from Edward Weston's day books there, it was really a lot of fun. So for me, it was a pilgrimage to a place I'd always wanted to be, to see, and to to uh, see some really great photography in in its varied forms by a lot of famous f- photographers. It's all most of it was black and white, but not all. I highly recommend if you're going to be anywhere near Tucson, it's really worth your time to go to the Center for Creative Photography and just see what it's all about. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Have you been to the Center for? I'm talking to the audience. Have you <laughs> have you been to the Center for Creative Photography, Mark Mark O'Brien? Yes, I just <laughs> talked about it. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Send us an email: podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about. Congratulations! It's a boy. <laughs> we'll be back. Here's how you can relive a good time over and over again. See it. Big as life in full-color slides. The newest, smartest way to take color slides is with a stylish Kodak Signet 40 camera. You'll wear it proudly everywhere you go. Just aim, focus, snap. It's as easy as that. Exciting action shots, eye-catching close-ups, beautiful scenes, indoors or out, day or night. You can take them all in rich, beautiful color. The Kodak Signet 40 is the smartest color slide camera you can buy, yet it costs only $74 or as little as $750 down. Other fine Kodak color slide cameras range in price from $3150 to $175. Ask your dealer about easy terms, and remember, when your camera is made by Kodak, you know it's good. Hey, we're back. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. boy. <laughs> but in all reality. Wow. I am floored by this camera that Leslie's going to talk about because to look at it, you wouldn't think anything of it. You'd be yeah. like, eh, but the results you've gotten have been phenomenal. Wow. Wow. Take it away, Leslie. Fun. What is it? I actually titled my segment on this, Congratulations, It's a Boy. I acquired, there again, I don't know, I don't remember where, this cute little 127 box camera. It's very cute. It is almost, um, to me it looks a little tombstone shaped, you know? Yes. It's not quite squared. It is made by Bylora in Germany. First released in 1949. There are a couple versions of this. I have the earliest basic black camera. The viewfinder is, of course, molded right into the camera. It's not separate. There are lugs to put a strap on here, and there's a shutter button, no focusing, anything like this. They made prettier ones a little bit later on with some metal accents. They made a dark 
red Bakelite plastic Ooh. one. And they called those the Lux version. Um, the specs are easy. No batteries. Right. No flash. Right. No focusing. Right. No exposure. Right. 127 roll film. Hole in the back. Check your numbers. Take the picture. No focusing. Meniscus F11 uh-huh. lens. 130th of a second. I do have an instant and a bulb setting on here. <laughs> no, way, no way to even attach a flash to it. I would have to go to bulb and hand fire it. If I would try to figure that out, no thinking. It's just fun, but obviously fun for boys. Boy, they put boy right on the front. It of says B O Y. B O Y. This is the Bylora boy. Bylora is even on the back. The front of the camera says boy. Boy. No lens information. Nothing. Does it have boy. a tripod socket? Yes. Yes, it oh, does. Cool. So you know, I'm sitting here thinking, what was the name boy? Oh, is it directed at boys? I mean, we have other cameras directed at boys. We have Boy Scout cameras, Roy Roger cameras, Matt Marash and his Transformer camera. Right. You know, that type of thing. Probably a boy market. But by Laura's German. So maybe I'm missing something in the translation. So I hop on the Google train. Right. The Google. And German to English, boy is boy. B-O-Y, B-O-Y. English to German English to German is Jung, J U N G, J U N G E. But it's boy, B O Y. So I had a little chat. I dialed up on my rotary phone. <laughs> and I uh, called um, our friend, our super FPP pal, Owen McCafferty. He speaks German. We both are into family history and genealogy. I don't have a lot of German in my line. He does. So. German's his thing. He does know that. And I said, what's a boy in German? (laughs) Jung? Jung? Okay. Why did they call this B-O-Y-B-O-Y boy on a German-made camera? And he goes, when was this made? I told him. I said, 49. Ah, after the war. He goes, they probably marketed this camera for the UK, European market and the US market. So they put B-O-Y-R-B-O-Y spelling on it. And I thought, because they really, we, we all crave those German cameras again. Every, every level of us makes perfect sense. So regardless of me not being a boy, I loaded this camera up with 35 millimeter film. And I used, at the time, it was kind of risky. I was testing one of the new films that FPP will be introducing soon. And I cut a piece of that, and I put it onto 127 backing paper so that I could load it and have my spacing correctly because I'm using the numbers. And Mike has actually done a video of this, uh, an FPP video, on how to put 35-millimeter film onto backing paper and use it in your 127 cameras. And it's cool because... Now's the time on Sprockets Family Dance! Sprockets. 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 You get sprockets. The only thing, and I was usually shooting two or three cameras when I'm out shooting for something like this, is I didn't remember to compensate mentally. 127 is a little bit wider than full sprocketed 35, and my, and my crop was not bad. I would have reframed it a little bit. One image I would have dropped down. And I had posted two images of this on my Flickr account, 
easy enough to search by Laura Boy, and they are they are awesome. They are. They're from the county fair, and I'm thinking this is exactly where a kid would take a camera like this. Yep. He would pack it up, get some film, Verachrome pan here in the U.S. at the time probably, and he would take it to the fair with him and shoot pictures. I even got a uh, Ferris, not a Ferris wheel, some other kind of carousel thing, thinking I'm shooting it on my 30th of a second. But all the same, it was pretty darn sweet. They were excellent. So the boy was an absolute success. I love this camera. <laughs> the boy was a success. <laughs> yeah, he became a doctor. <laughs> anyway, it's, there's just, there was nothing not fun about this camera. Easy to use. It was fantastic. But I, I'm still thinking about the whole putting the, the word boy on it. Did they really have to do that, you know? But let's face it. Cameras are primarily, especially in the 50s and the 60s and before that, a male occupation, male-dominated. Wasn't it almost always dad who operated the camera? And look at the photo magazines from the time. There's always a bathing beauty splashed over the front of a photo magazine. It's a very male-oriented field. But somebody was thinking, because there's a huge market that has been untouched, women. (laughs) So let's, it's not that women didn't take up cameras and use them, they just weren't enticed to. So let's make some cameras attracted to moms, girls, the modern woman. And when you look at it, let's think about Polaroid's Barbie camera. A lot of people made a Barbie camera. The Spice Girls cams, those come to mind. But as I researched this a little bit, in the late 1920s, the great yellow father, Kodak, <laughs> yes, made a beautiful series called The Vanity. And it was a vest pocket camera that came in colors. And the names that they gave these were just as delightful. They were bird-related. They had the blue bird, which was blue. The face of the camera and the body of the camera were painted. They had cockatoo, which was green. The seagull in gray. Red Robin Breast, of course, was red. And they had the Jenny Wren, which was brown. And they came in a folding case. It slipped in one side. As you opened it, there's a mirror in the top. And whatever color you chose, there was a matching lipstick case, powder case, and a little blush for your blusher case, powder blusher. (laughs) And it was meant to set on your vanity. And then, of course, you pulled the camera out and carried it with you. Right after that series, they introduced the petite, another vest pocket. The petite is just beautiful. It's just gorgeous. See, it's, it's attracted me. But not only were the face and the body, they made everything the same. The bellows are colored, too. What are colored? The bellows. Bellows. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bellows. Bellows. So even in, rather than just being black, some cases they were red in other cameras, but these bellows were painted. A fewer, there were a little bit less selection, and it was probably another five or ten years, so we had a whole different Pantone palette to deal with, and I believe there was more like a burnt orange, a brown, colors like that. But they were also vest pocket cameras to take 127. And we come up through time a little bit, 
Like, I think uh, the date will come to me. This is the 60s. Argus is getting on board. Arr. <laughs> They're like, Arr. Arg. And I actually brought this camera oh, with me today. May I see that? Yes. And this is called the Argus Lady Carefree. And I can't imagine any man that's going to volunteer and shoot with a camera <laughs> that says Lady Carefree on the front. In fact, there's a few versions of the Carefree, Lady Carefree, you just have to say it, that were made for Argus. Argus did not make any of these cameras. There was uh, one version that has more of a paisley design on the front, and I think that was the German version. There were also then the Japanese versions. The whole series was introduced in 67, and and this is, this is a quote. I'm, I'm not really being not PC about this when I say this, because this came from Orange is the New Black. It was made for our lady brains. <laughs> <laughs> this uses 127 drop-in cartridge film. 126? When, I'm sorry. 126 cartridge drop-in. That's my lady brain. Sorry. Uh, 126 cartridge film. That was easy to put in, easy to use. There's none of that threading. You don't have to roll it up to number one. Perfect. Roll up to where? Number one. Number one! <laughs> <laughs> and, as you know, I love to bring you the first, the fastest, the ugliest, the whole thing. There is with this. The in Japan you could uh also purchase something called the Astral S S the S twenty. And Argus also released a regular version of this camera called the Instalode one forty six X. But the Astral S twenty in Japan was the very first camera ever released in Japan that used a magic cube. Oh. So there again, we don't have a little flash bulb. We've got this very easy magic cube. And most of the Lady Carefrees do not require a battery. Ah, uh, yeah. Some of them took the 825 and you have to modify them. I also brought along another camera, but still, I would still rather use the camera that says boy, boy. on it than the Lady Carefree that to me, I just think this had to come as a promo for feminine hygiene products. <laughs> I found a really useful idea to keep me feeling fresh all day, every day. Carefree panty shields. <laughs> Time to wake this show up. Where's Johnny Link? Right here, right here. And I, I can't see you. this camera. You just kind of have to, I mean, geez, I got to put on my little... Light, light white, white flowing, flowing dress. dress. I must I run must through run a field, through of, field lavender of lavender with my, with my Lady Carefree Camry held high in the <laughs> air as my <laughs> locks of locks hair of are flowing in the wind. In the wind. And, that, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is not going to happen. <laughs> but there is a possibility that I might use this beautiful camera. Pr- probably not. Pink is not my favorite color. This is made by Minolta. It is called a Courage. Oh. Or the AC-101. This was not introduced here in the U.S. Oh. And I believe there were maybe two colors available. What's it called? Courage. Oh. C-O-U-R-R-E-G-E-S. I'm not, or cur- I'm not sure. I don't, I don't, I'm, there's only two years of French here. And Mark Dizelle is not here to tell me how it's pronounced. Hey, how's it going? You know what? Oh wait, I just wanted to say, look, you know, looking at my, looking at my database of cameras. This is a disc 
camera. Uh-huh. Very, very obviously created. Oh, yeah. For the feminine mindset. We've got pink waves of color. We have got a, a, a lovely metallic oh. silver oh, yeah. strap with a matching case to go with it that is pink and white vinyl. Yes, Michael. Very quickly, was this the era of Virginia Slims, the whole this would lady have, movement? This would have <laughs> been. This, this disc camera would have been. Uh, I would say that the Lady Carefree was probably at the beginning of it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much so. But uh, this little pupski here was, uh, like I said, this was distributed and made for France. And a friend of mine who was an attorney at Marathon absolutely loved to travel there. And he was a camera collector. Ooh, la, and la. he saw this and he <laughs> thought, I must take this back for Leslie. Oh. So he bought this and gave this to me. So I treasure it from my so, Saturday morning shopper. But, um, so that's like the maxi pad and that's the mini pad. <laughs> this is kind of like it, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, think sensible, think cortex. Think new, think thin. Think sensible, think cortex. From cortex, new thins. I'm doing my show. No, you can do it by yourself. I'm doing my show. So my enjoyment with the boy and using it. (laughs) Oh, that did not. My enjoyment with the boy. (laughs) No, I very much enjoyed using the boy camera, the 127, the loading it on the background, and the images it produced. And I didn't feel weird using it, anything like that. I'm pretty sure that I am never going to fire up the lady carefree. And I definitely will not be firing up the uh, Minolta AC-101 pink disc camera either. But I, I really I enjoy advertising and cameras and how they're directed at certain people. Much like, if you remember Macintosh when they first came out oh, yeah. with colored computers. Yeah. And interesting names, Blueberry, that type of thing. But I just think it is incredibly interesting to open a whole new group of users up by simply a name and color on the camera when, as we know, one was an instant 146X, but now we've given it something different, and how a whole new market of people are interested in photography. Absolutely. Absolutely. I look at that the uh, disc camera, and I think when that came out, it was in the disco era, and that would have been quite the little accessory to carry to your disco tech with the disco balls and on one on uh little tiny disc film i mean even when it slips in its camera it's very purse-like oh yeah it is very purse-like yeah i want to imagine case how many women left the camera at home and put their virginia slims in that case instead i can tell you what exactly when your virginia slims would fit great and, and lighter. Your big lighter. Your lady which was lighter. Just, uh, probably your pink lady lighter. <laughs> so, well, thank they probably you. didn't because as you take the, they thought about this. As you take the camera out, you lose the strap. Okay. Just sling it along. Back in the old days, men were the masters, women were the slaves. Women had the duties, men had all the rights. Then at last, women won their rights. And one by one, they won them all. You've come a long way, baby, to get where you've got to today. You've got your own cigarette now, baby. You've come a long, long way. 
Introducing new Virginia Slims. The Slim Cigarette for women only. Tailored for the feminine hand. Slimmer than the fat cigarette men smoke. With flavor women like. Mellow, mild Virginia flavor. New Virginia Slims in the Slim Purse Pack. You've got your own cigarette now, baby. You've come a long, long way. We're now going to pour it on over to Mark O'Brien. What do you uh, got, Mark? I'd like to talk about the Konica Auto S2, which is a Japanese 35-millimeter fixed-lens rangefinder that was produced in 1965. Well, and don't, don't keep that hidden. Bring it out. Let's take a look at it. And this. differs from the uh, earlier Konica Auto S Ooh, by nice. having a 40, Hexanon 45-millimeter f1.8 lens along with its cadmium sulfide meter cell relocated to the ring in front of the lens like most good excuse me uh, mark range finders are is that a man's camera (laughs) (laughs) well i'll have you know that this was given to me by by a woman so Mm. and and she i got this camera from becky ramatowski who's a astrophotographer in new mexico and she had it up on our facebook group and she said that uh if anyone wanted it she, they could just pay the cost of shipping, and I saw this, and I, I used to have an Auto S2 about 10 years ago. I used it for a while and sold it, and I always regretted that because it was a pretty nice uh, rangefinder camera. So I, I texted her and said, I'll send you, how about a bunch of film? And since she does astrophotography, I sent her a bunch of tech pan and other slow, fine-grained film, and, and that was turned out to be a great trade for her and for me. Um, this camera looks brand new. I mean, it's there's not a ding on it. There's not a scratch on it. It works like new. I mentioned that the sensor is inside the lens ring, and it has a, a couple of advantages. It's that the lens cap now covers the sensor, sensor so you don't chew up your battery because it turns off the metering system. And then you can also put filters on it. It takes a 55-millimeter filter in the around the lens. And so if you want to use... Uh, Maybe you've got some uh, aerochrome still laying around somewhere. Ooh. You want to put that in there? That would work. Uh, if you've got, if you want to just use uh, typical filters for black and white film or color film, polarizer, whatever, you can do that with this with this camera. So, and that's a nice nice advantage. I like the fact it's got a uh, an uh, incorporated lens hood and in, in, on the lens. Overall, it it looks a lot like the Minolta. Hymatic seven. It in, does in, in size, right in, in size and finish, but it's. I think it's a better camera than the Hymatic seven, and for lots of reasons. One, it works versus the one I have doesn't. <laughs> but it has ISO settings from. Uh, let's see. It goes up to four hundred, and the lowest ISO setting is at. Uh, I think. Uh, Twelve. So you could just you've got still got a pretty good uh, range of uh, films you can put inside it. Shutter is a copal shutter, and it's got bulb, and in one second to one five hundredth of a second, which is pretty standard. Um, it takes a one point three volt mercury, but I've just got a regular silver cell in this thing, and it's working just fine. And it, with black and white or color negative film, it's not going to make much difference. It's kind of a weighty camera. It weighs 750 grams. It's also, in, if you have an auto mode. Auto? It, it's auto. Like, a lot, like all the other Konica cameras, it's shutter priority. So you set your shutter speed, it'll, it'll set the aperture. 
but you can also use it manually set your um your aperture and your shutter speed manually and you can use it without without a battery some cameras you take the battery out with some of the range finders and they like like the uh, canon some of the canons and they just don't work the lens is quite fast it's a uh 45 millimeter f 1.8 so it's really good for lots of conditions and there's a there's a one variant of this model called the auto s2 new or auto s2 el in different markets um basically the thing is it has a regular hot shoe shoe what shoe <laughs> it has a different different and improved film take-up spool so th- that's a good thing the camera was also marketed by montgomery wards stores and, and catalog sales in the U.S. as the Ward's AM551. That since they use a lens labeled Hexar uh, and Cyclops, they're, they're just probably the, the, the uh, Konica camera with different name, names on them. If you are into rangefinders, you want a, a fairly reliable camera that will work well out in indoors and outdoors. Um, it's got a PC socket on there for, for flash on the front of the camera. It's got a nice little little knob to use for focusing. It's really easy to focus. The rangefinder patch is pretty is is quite uh, apparent. With some cameras, those, those fade over time. You can also see the meter settings up on on the top deck of the camera. It's got a tripod socket, battery check button on the bottom. In short, it's uh pretty much got everything you need for going out and taking good 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 pictures out. Have you shot out with it? Yes, I have, and I've been very happy with it with the results. The prices on eBay for these are about twenty-five to sixty bucks, so mm-hmm. they're they're relatively common. They're not rare, um, but the make sure you get one that's in good shape. That's all I can say. Excuse me, Mark. Is this camera for a lady? <laughs> it's for anybody. It's it's unisex. It's unisex. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Hey, you're welcome. We went to Hartford, Connecticut, and picked out ten people who had never before taken home movies. We gave each of them a new Kodak Brownie movie camera. And a roll of Kodachrome film. We showed them how easy the camera was to use. Then we asked them to tell us how they made out with their very first roll. Here is what they said. I never dreamed that movies were so easy to take. Actually, they were as easy as taking snapshots. They turned out great. Wonderful color, too. I couldn't believe this camera cost so little. Everyone agreed. They got wonderful home movies the very first time with Kodak's new Brownie movie camera. It costs only $32.50 or as little as $3.25 down. And remember, your surest way to better movies is to insist on the name Kodak. Hey, we're back. Right now we're going to be talking about Ollie. Ollie. Ollie's no longer with us, sadly. Ollie, the FPP pug. But Leslie's going to be talking about Ollie. Yes. I resurre- Which Ollie do you have? I resurrected Ollie. <laughs> scary. What Ollie do you have? You have your very own Ollie? I have I have a herd of Ollies. Ollie, of course, um, is the shortened, lovable name of Olympus. It's been a little over a year ago that I talked about what I considered, I think many, the flagship of the modern Olympus SLR family, the OM-1. In fact, should you care to listen back, that was... Hello, Joseph Brungis, which show was that? Yeah, that was, that was show 166, July 1st, 
2017. And that camera truly did, I think, change the photo industry. It was a system camera, and it was a system camera, everything you needed to do with it, but it was small. It was small. It was lightweight. You didn't have to have a Sherpa to carry all your other gear with you if you were doing accessories. They geared it for not only pro, but for amateur, maybe prosumer, the term we use now. And it was my first SLR, the Olympus OM-1. I worked, as many of you know, retail at a retail camera store for many years. And I took advantage of the Olympus Dealer Employee Purchase Program. You were allowed to buy as a dealer, as an employee of an Olympus dealer, you were allowed to purchase so many bodies and so many lenses and so many flashes a year. You couldn't buy too many because they did not want the dealer buying these at a price that was less than their net and reselling them. So you had to sign some paperwork that you would not resell this for a while. The price was very attractive. And, of course, we know if you get your product into the hands of an employee who's selling your product and you like it, if they're encouraged about it, the customer is going to hear that. Yes. They are going to hear that love. Oh, yeah. And um, it's an easy sell that way. So Olympus's dealer employee purchase program actually was a smart idea. Kodak had it at the time, but we could only buy projectors at special prices. But there again, we were not necessarily in a camera store, not using the Kodak cameras at the time. We were looking for SLRs, and Kodak didn't have anything. So that, that was that. Minolta did not have a program like that at the time. I don't know about Canon and Nikon, but I know it was very successful for Olympus. But also, buying this OM-1 at a very special price and using it, I knew I wanted an OM-2. <laughs> it got shelved. I couldn't buy it all at once, but I did eventually get one. My original OM-1 and then my acquired in a few years OM-2, very much so, made a living for me. I used these cameras to photograph weddings with. They were my 35, my formal shots, as I called them, then was done on medium format. But I also used both of those cameras at the store as copy cameras, slide duplicating cameras, and the amount of film and frames that I, and I typically use would use uh, OM1s for that, full manual control. The amount this is rolls a day of film that went through them. And how they held up was a testament. You can say, I've done a thousand rolls this year on my, in the camera in the back, and it's an OM-1. They're built well. They're built quiet. They're built well. And then along comes autofocus. And when it became cool and good and I could use it, it was great, um, I switched over to that for my camera of choice to photograph weddings and my my om2 sadly kind of got shelved kind of a shame but i recently acquired an zuiko olympus's brand of lenses Zuiko, which are highly respected a 50 millimeter one four and i don't think i ever had a one four before the standards are one eight offer a one four and a one two and as we have previously talked about fpp is introducing a new film line. Yes. 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 What do we know about these films? Nothing. 
We know they're 35 <laughs> millimeter. We know nothing. We know they're black and white. Are you up to testing some film? Sure. To honestly test this film, I wanted to use one camera on all the films, the same lens. I chose three lenses, the 51.4, a 28 Zuiko, and then I drug out because... We never talk about them. We have no love for them. I also drug out a 75-150 Zuiko Zoom that I used a little bit as well. That's a good lens. It's, there is no bad lens when yeah. you're talking Zuiko. <laughs> so that's why I actually pulled this camera out and started using it again. I have, of course, more than one OM2 and more than one OM1 at this point in my ridiculous camera career this one looks brand new and i put that 51 4 on it and it is just gorgeous so it was nice to see it again but i'm using the om2 to do the testing the om2 was introduced about three years after the om1 few different numbers there's the om2 okay then there's the om2 md there's a badge on the front of the camera that literally says md it is not a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. It stands for the fact that this camera now will take a motor drive or a winder. So you can tell right from the front, there's a little cap on the bottom. You remove it and attach the winder or the motor drive. Then they came out with the OM2N, the new version. There were some cosmetic things. The uh, Film Advance is a little, little, more, little bit more rounded, a little more comfortable. They changed... Um, where a reset button was on the camera. Of course, they are all MD versions. But for the most part, they're all interchangeable. And just like the OM-1, almost every accessory is interchangeable. Because when you purchased an Olympus camera, it was a system. You chose your body. Of course, you chose your lens. You chose the focusing screen. And you chose whether or not you wanted it to have a hot shoe. So there are four shoes. Shoe one, shoe two, shoe three, shoe four. Did you do this right in the camera store? Yes. Wow. A lot of times we knew. I just ordered them all in with the shoe of the day. This is a shoe four. It's the only thing that's not 100% backward compatible. Shoe? What shoe? All this is is caused by UFOs. (laughs) The shoes talk to the camera. So if you had a dedicated flash, it's telling you things. And the flashes became more advanced. We upgraded from a shoe 2 to a shoe 4. You you can't even physically put them on. One just has a center post that that is threaded, and the more modern shoes have a center post that's threaded and two pins. So you cannot use one over the other. Pros many times didn't want to pay for the shoe. They had no need for the shoe. Why? Because they were putting these in a studio, and they're using the PC outlet on the side, the electronic outlet to plug their studio strobes in. And if they're wedding photographers, they never put a flash on a shoe to photograph a wedding. It was on a bracket so that they could take that flash off, hold it up over their head, tilt it down, and throw those shadows behind so you didn't have that side shadow. So that's why uh, many times today, if you see these for sale, on the bay, they may not have the shoe on them. And the shoe was part plastic, and they did have a tendency, I can see right my, right now that mine is cracked, yeah. but you have to destroy them. That, that can crack, and it's still fine. That's cosmetic because it's, the metal part's screwed into your camera. So don't, don't get cranked if it's cracked. <laughs> um, it, it will probably still work. 
They made more modern other ones is the OM2S, the OM2SP. They eventually went to a program version, a spot metered version. But the specs on our older ones, these good OM2s, for, for a camera that's, it's really rather normal. One second to one one thousandth of a second. But if you are in the auto mode, because this is aperture priority, or full metered manual, if you were in the auto mode, it would stay open two full minutes. Oh. That's rather unusual because most cameras in auto mode, when it's dark up, dark, they give up about 15, 20 seconds, close you down, move on. Uh, that will, of course, drain a battery. But, but the reason that this did this is because this camera had TTL through the lens metering, and it metered. They called it the autodynamic metering. It's the first camera that read off the film plane during your exposure. Mm. I'm in the room again, long exposure, dark, and I've got it on auto taking, and someone comes in and flips the lights on, it'll compensate for that and close it down earlier because it's reading the entire time it's, mm. it's making the reading. That was unusual. That was brilliant. That was accurate. And, but still today, these cameras and some of these features that, that we think are common are very much overlooked. And this, I feel, is a very much overlooked, often overlooked camera. What I love about this, there again, the viewfinder is 97% view. Most 35s at the time were 94%. I'm getting a much, almost full-frame view on this, and it's bright, very bright. And I can also, there again, change that focusing screen. So if the typical one was the mat on the outside, the microprism collar in the middle, the microprism collar, of course, shimmered when you were not in focus, cleared up when you were in focus, and had the split in the center literally divided your subject in half. And this, I think, too, is another thing that I really enjoy about this camera being an auto camera and a manual camera. When I'm in auto mode, my viewfinder changes, and it tells me I select the f-stop, and it tells me what shutter speed it's going to fire at. Great. When I go to manual mode on this, that screen flips right out of the way, and I get the plus and minus metering. Mm-hmm. And the other screen's gone. As we became more automatic, automatic modes with manual overrides commonly just told you where you're at and where you should be. Uh, okay, then you transfer that to somewhere else on the camera. You have to transfer it to your shutter speed to get that locked in. So extra steps. Olympus did not want that, nor did they want extra steps. One thing that, that is u- unique with them and may drive some people crazy is as you properly hold this camera your index finger and thumb controls the f-stop it can slide back because the shutter speeds are mounted behind the lens on the body not on a top dial so when you get used to this camera you have got everything literally without taking your eye out of that viewfinder and looking at the top of the camera for a shutter speed don't have to it's all right there even the depth of field preview is lens mounted oh. rather than being pushing in on the side of the camera. So I can go through 
check my depth of field preview, change anything I need to know, and I have never taken my eye away from the viewfinder. They want to make this quick. The OM2 also takes the standard two button cells, S76, LR44s, whatever you want to call them. You can use the cheap alkaline versions in them. You're, you're fine. They may not last as long. Alkaline doesn't last as long as silver. The camera, I think, too, is just in size and weight. It, it, it competes well today. It's so small, weight-wise especially, not quite as light as mirrorless. And one thing that always impressed me, if you guys remember a few years ago when FPP first came to Finlay, uh, Professor Jeff was with us from the university. Yes, he's Professor, still with us today. He is still with us today. <laughs> <laughs> just not here with us, nor at the university. The university was Professor Jeff's second job. Mm. He was a professional photographer. He was one of the best that you could hire in Northwest Ohio. He was called all over. He had all kinds of big industrial accounts. And what did Professor Jeff shoot with? He shot with three cameras. Three started off with RBs and RZs by Mamaya if he needed a larger negative. If he could get away with square, he shot with Hasselblad. Mm. He shot with Nikon, but on occasionally, if it was going to be tricky, he pulled out the Olympus OM2N, the uh, two model, because he said, of all the cameras I own, this camera has the most accurate exposure system in it. Mm. Handheld meter, not convenient to use, and he's shooting was, he occasionally pulled out the Olympus OM2. He had a whole different system of non-matching lenses because of the metering system of this camera. So I have thoroughly enjoyed, I, I've gotten a little spoiled and a little, a little lazy maybe using my other preferred camera, which is a Canon AE2, that is an autofocus camera with a program mode in it. And sometimes I really just use it and I really think about what I see. Camera's going to do the rest. It's fine. But I have used this OM2 again to test these films. And the, I have rekindled, as they say, I have rekindled my love affair. The camera is brilliant. The images are gorgeous. It's so sharp. It's easy to get plus and minus metering when I'm testing these films. It's got everything I need on it, nothing I don't need on it. And I actually, even when I wrote on my show notes and I underlined it, my, my final statement is, what a joy. <laughs> and deals can be had, but this camera five years ago, it's $50 camera. Today, they're bringing 105 to 175 Yep. So that's happening across the board. That's not just with the Ollies, but it's well-respected. And I think don't overlook this and don't put it down if one comes your way because it really is a very, very fine piece of photographic equipment. Yay. Ollie. Ollie. Hello, Ollie. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. I want to thank everyone for joining us on this episode of the Film Photography Podcast. Uh, we're, going to be, uh, we're going to be walking down Main Street in Fairlawn, New Jersey. We're going to be grabbing some bagel sandwiches. Uh, bagels are a staple of the New York area, 
and uh, you know they're bagels. They're bagels. They're bagel bagels. It's not yes. the bagels you get in the frozen food department. Or out of the bag at Myers. No. You get a bag of bagels. No, no. When were these made? Yeah. And here the places are called. It was yesterday I mentioned to you folks Hot Grill. And you're like, What's a hot yeah, grill? Hot, What's grill. hot Grill. Do you have Hot Grill? No, I don't know what Hot Grill is. Here you have lots of stores that call Hot Bagels. Hot bagels. Why? Well, they're hot out of... They're hot. Mm. And they make them right in the back. I don't know how bagels made, but it involves boiling. It involves boiling. Isn't that amazing? It's it's kooky. What's your favorite bagel? Everything bagel. Mark? Uh, Which is my favorite? I like everything bagels. Everything? Slice locks. Sesame. Onion. Cream of the cheese. Sesame cream of the cheese. Awesome. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Please do send us a note. Sadly, uh, I report that the Argus Lady Carefree will not take reloads. And, I mean, every 126 camera I see, I try to see. Oh, just the the Factmatic adapter, it won't even fit into the back of the camera. Check that out. I mean, it won't even fit. That's a. I gotta tell you, I'm excited. Oh, he was gonna send it home with me and make me use this darn thing. I was gonna, I was excited. Was I was gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna get this loaded up so Les can go back to Finlay and shoot with it. And Les is like, No, no, please, please, no, I don't want to shoot with it. Why don't you want to shoot with it? It's a, looks like it. It's a darn feminine hygiene product oh. promo camera. It just, <laughs> I don't know. The lady can't. It's just not happening. It's not happening. I'm shooting with the boy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, folks, we'll see you super soon. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.
past is far behind us. The future doesn't exist. Oh. <laughs>